0: We're going to start a little mini-series this afternoon, which as it starts, will finish fairly quickly, i.e. next week. <laughs> and we're going to be looking a little bit at the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And over these next two weeks, uh, myself and my Christian, who's just there, uh, I'm going to be thinking about two of Jesus' saints, which gives some sort of answer to that question. And as with a lot of the things Jesus said, They seem to be a little bit in tension. So Jesus tells us that we can have life to the full. He tells us that we can have life in abundance. Jesus says that he wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to have a life of excitement, a challenge. He wants you to be happy. Being a follower of Jesus is about having life in its fullness. But then on the other side, Jesus also tells us that he wants to bring you death. Whoever wants to follow Jesus, we're told, must deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and follow him. So there's these two claims which stand in tension in the gospel stories of Jesus. So how do these two challenges sit with you? Which one do you think is the most appealing? Life to its fullness or self-denial and death? Well, Christians got that easy job of explaining. The first of those next week, but today we're going to think a little bit more about this second challenge. And I think it's important as we prepare for Easter. This this season is often called Lent. Being a good Anglican man that I am, um, I'm quite I quite enjoy Lent. It's a good time to prepare your heart to focus on the Christian story. And it's really exciting that Jesus comes back from the dead. That we can enter into new life with Jesus. That death is defeated. That our sins are forgiven. But it's important that we don't miss the death of Jesus. That's really important to our faith. Following Jesus means that we can follow him into new creation. But as with Jesus, we too can't get there without some kind of death, without dying to ourselves. In Romans, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. Don't you know that all of us were baptised into Christ Jesus were also baptised into his death. We We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Following Jesus brings death. But what does that even mean? What does it mean for us to take that challenge seriously? Before we think a little bit more about it, Jasmine's going to come up and just quickly read this passage to us. If you've got your Bibles on your table, it's in Luke chapter 9, and it's starting at verse 18 through to verse 27.
1: Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, sorry, (coughs) the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses, it, uh, whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, Some who are standing here will not taste the death before they see the kingdom of God.
0: Thank you. So not an easy passage to take in. And not particularly an easy passage to be able to make any sense of. So ask the average man on the street what being a Christian looks like, and I think you'll probably get something like this. Christians, whether you like it or not, have a reputation for being very happy, clappy, Joyful to the extent of nauseating and perhaps a little bit annoying. Um, I'd like to count myself as an exception, I don't know if that's true. But I don't think this is helped by the fact that when we tell people about our Christian faith, we say things like, being a Christian is the best thing that will ever happen to you. Your problems will be solved, everything will be better. You'll generally just be an all-round better person if you come and be a Christian. And I'm not saying that that isn't true, but I think all too often we don't focus on passages like these which say that following Jesus, being a Christian, comes with a cost, and it comes with a massive cost. So I don't know about you, but I don't really like that challenge, which is probably why I don't really think about it. I don't like the fact that following Jesus has a cost. I think that generally being a Christian is fairly straightforward, it's fairly comfortable, it's fairly enjoyable. And for many of us, I don't know about you, but for for me, often being a Christian is just something else to put on my Facebook profile. I'm a philosopher, I like reading books, making coffee, listening to pretentious music on vinyl, drinking scotch, uh, and, and also I'm a follower of Jesus. You can kind of fill in the other blanks, I imagine you have different interests to me. But the problem is, Jesus doesn't give us that kind of option of being that kind of Christian that just tags, I'm a follower of Christ, onto the end of everything else that they do. So yes, whilst Jesus promises you happiness and life to the full, which Christian will come and talk a bit more about next week, following Jesus isn't easy and cost-free. We heard a few weeks ago Holly tell us that God doesn't want to erase you. He wants to save you. And God saves us where we are, with our problems and with all the things that come with that. So when you become a Christian, you don't kind of get a Ned Flanders character transplant and suddenly have no struggles and problems and have a carefree, happy existence. Following Jesus is hard. And Jesus tells us that it's going to be hard in this passage. So we're invited to share in the new life and the resurrection, but we're also invited To come and share in the suffering of Jesus. Paul, in another letter, in the letters to the Philippians, puts it like this. I want to know Christ, yes. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I don't know about you, but... Um, I don't think I could stand up and say those words with the conviction that Paul sets them there. I want to participate in the sufferings of Christ. I want to become like Christ in his death. They're very difficult words to be able to stand up and say. So does that mean that actually we can't be happy as Christians? We've got to give up our identity, sell our espresso machines, and start suffering. Most of us, when we hear verses like that, we know that following Jesus comes with a cost. But I think all too often we make it, again, too much about ourselves. It's a kind of self-denial which brings us some kind of fulfilment that, oh, if I give up then I'll feel good about myself. And we kind of blur into this amorphous Christian mass of... um, Just doing things because that's what we should do. And actually, following Jesus just means giving up your identity, your passions, your values. Actually, I think there's a little more to taking up your cross than that. It's not just about a kind of unmotivated self-denial because that's what we have to do. If If we have a look a bit more in detail in this passage, there's more to it than that. So, if you notice, in, in, the, in Luke's Gospel, this command to pick up your cross, comes immediately after this really interesting passage which we just heard, in which for the first time, in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, the disciples finally realise who Jesus actually is. So these guys have been travelling with him for months, they've seen him do miraculous things, they've heard him um, bring amazing teaching, but it's only at this point that they realise... That Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. And I think it's very easy to, to overlook that point when we read this passage. Often we put the words Jesus and Christ together like it's just Jesus' surname. But as we see in the Old Testament, the relationship between the Jewish people and God is a very lengthy and complicated relationship. And we see the to and fro of God blessing the Israelites and the Israelites rebelling against God. We see that we see God bring the Israelites into the promised land and then them rebelling against Him. As we heard Christians say, last week, even someone like Noah had flaws, and every story we hear in the Old Testament is one in which human beings come with this weight of expectation, of being the promise of God fulfilled. And then there comes a moment of disappointment. And we we see amidst this mess of um, obeying God and disobeying God and rebelling against God, we see this promise that one day there will be a Messiah. Literally, there will be an anointed one, someone that will set people free. This is supposed to be the guy that's going to have all of the expectation, but none of the disappointment. And so this particular group um, of Jews are in the Middle East, in the land that God has promised to the Jewish people. But they're under an occupation. They're under the occupation of the Roman Empire. So they're living in this period of disappointment. They're waiting for God to rescue them. They're waiting for their Saviour. So when Jesus asks them, Who do people say I am? their first response is a kind of halfway house. It's It's a little bit tentative. They say, Some people say that you're a really good prophet, you're Elijah or John the Baptist. In other words, they say, Yeah, you're from God. You've come to preach an important message to us. But ultimately, you're just like all the other prophets that have gone before. And then Jesus modifies his question slightly, he makes it a little bit more direct. Who do you say I am? And this is where we get Peter's reply You are the Christ of God. Or in some translations, you are the Messiah. You are the person that God has sent to save us from oppression. The person that has come to reconcile us with God. The person that is the entire narrative of the story of God and humanity. That's you. And so this claim that that Peter makes is absolute suicide. It's political suicide. Because he says Jesus is greater than the ruling forces. He is greater than Caesar. This is the kind of religious suicide He says that this is the man that your religion points to. This is the man that has come to fulfil the entire scripture. And this command to pick up your cross and follow can't be isolated from that statement. You are the Christ. And actually, Jesus asks all of us that same question today. Who do you say I am? So what's your reply to that question? Are you like the other people? Do you think Jesus is a prophet, someone that comes with a teaching and challenge, but ultimately we can kind of take or leave what he says. I mean, maybe we don't consciously commit to that, but in our behavior, actually, we just acknowledge that Jesus gives us some interesting challenges to adapt to our lives, um, and we try and apply them where we can. Or do you, like Peter, make that second, more radical claim? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Because that is just as subversive today as it, ever, as it has been forever. And we saw four of our friends here a couple of weeks ago stand up and make that claim in front of all of you. That Jesus isn't just an Adam. He's not just a good teacher that gives us a good way of life. He's not just a philosopher with some thought-provoking thoughts. Jesus is the key to every problem that humanity faces. He is the key to our relationship with God. He is greater than any political power or force, greater than any religious institution or religious power. And that kind of statement requires something more than just this kind of Adam. In the words of the hymn, when I survey." Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. So this challenge to take up our cross and follow, has to, it has to begin with this claim that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. Otherwise it is just pointless. We are just kind of self-flagellating here. It's all about self-denial and it's not really coming out of our relationship with the God who created us. Okay, so let's think a little bit more about the actual, this actual challenge of picking up your cross. So the first thing to note is it's, it's really interesting that Jesus uses this language of the cross. And I, I think we, um, it's easy, and I, I think that I did when I first read this passage, um, to think, well this is just talking about the death of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross, he's talking about crosses, 2 and 2 equals 4, right? Um, so I think that potentially there's some of that. Um, so there's some kind of prophetic aspect to this claim. But actually the disciples, when they first heard it, um, wouldn't have been thinking about um, Jesus' own death necessarily, even though he just warned them that he was going to die. So crucifixion was a, a Roman torture method, an execution method, which the hearers would have been very familiar with. And the criminals that were subject to this punishment Um, would have to carry, literally carry a wooden cross on their back to the place where they would eventually die. And no one else can carry your cross for you. This is part of the humiliation and shame of being a criminal. Someone that has done wrong. Someone that has been put to death by the state. So at the same time, taking up your cross is both a a sign of the power and rulers um, that are controlling you, and of um, the public shaming that comes from not coming under their authority. So this, this metaphor of picking up your cross would have had enormous significance to the disciples. If you want to follow me in claiming that I am the Messiah, you must be prepared for this kind of public embarrassment and shame and pain and suffering. And, and actually some of the disciples there in front of Jesus would literally pick up their cross And die simply because they make that claim. And sadly still today, thousands and thousands of people will meet the same fate for making this claim. Jesus is the Christ. So following Jesus has serious implications, right? They reckon around 100,000 people die a year just because they make this claim. But I think if we only focus on the the martyrdom aspect of this, if we only focus on losing our lives for Jesus, we slightly miss the point of exactly what he's trying to get to. So interestingly, Luke in this passage includes the little word daily. I don't know if you noticed that when you heard it being read. So when when we hear this story in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Matthew doesn't include the word daily. But Luke records Jesus as saying, um, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So clearly this is more than just about our death and about the execution that comes from following Jesus. Jesus says every day you must sacrifice, you must, be, you must deny yourself for me. And actually as I tried to figure out what this might look like for us, um, I realised it's really hard and I can't stand up and tell you this is how to follow Jesus by denying yourself because I don't really know what the answer is myself. But as we we talked about it this week in our cell group, someone said something that really struck me, which was, um, maybe I can't articulate exactly what it does look like, but I know very honestly what it doesn't look like. So I know that from my life, that I often take the low cost option instead of giving Jesus what I have. So for example, I know that it's much easier to never think about money than it is to think and pray about where I should give it. It's much easier to never come across people that live in poverty than it is to actively seek them out. It's much easier to have 10 minutes extra in bed instead of getting up and praying. It's much easier to not speak up against injustice when you see it in the workplace. It's much easier not to say something about that work colleague that's being insulted. It's much easier to say when your friends ask you, what did you do this weekend, to say, oh, I just uh, you know, hung out with some mates, and, you know, went to the public, than to say, I went to church. And it, when they ask you the question, are you one of those religious people, it's much easier to say, "Well, yeah, kind of, than it is to give them an honest answer. It's much easier to eat cream cakes than to exercise self-control. It's much easier to keep watching that dubious TV programme, even when, in the back of your head, you go, "Should I really be watching this? Is this really going to be encouraging to me?" It's much easier to say nothing and to not embarrass yourself than to stand up and disagree with something. It's much easier to admit that you're more dependent. It's, sorry, it's not easy to admit that you're more dependent on caffeine than you are on Jesus. It's easier not to reflect, not to pray, not to fast, not to ask God what he is calling us to, than to do the opposite. And I think the worry that we have is that these all feel like little things that don't really amount to taking up your cross and getting martyred. But this is where it's really important that Jesus uses this little word daily. It's in the small, everyday actions that sacrifice is truly made And whilst there might be something appealing about saying, you know what, I've had enough, I'm giving it all up for Jesus, I'm going to go live in that monastery, I'm going to sell all my stuff. Um, I think in some ways that's to ignore the challenge that comes with living in this relationship with Jesus every day, in the workplace, in the home, with your spouse, in your school. If you spend time asking God every morning, what does it look like today to take up my cross, Deny myself and follow you. It may very well begin with something very small, but it's actually in those small acts that, that taking up your cross is found. So that, there's an interesting way to think about this, which I know Christian will really love this analogy, but the, uh, the cycling coach Dave Grailsford, Sir Dave Grailsford, um, he's the guy that's the successful coach behind the Team Sky and Tour de France and British Cycling. And he employs a method called marginal gains, which is one of the things that's increased the success of British cycling enormously. And the idea is that you can't just get out there and win a cycling race. But you can increase the quality of things by a small amount. You can talk to your nutritionist and get the meals to be slightly more suited to what cyclists need, for example... You can, for example, um, take mattresses with you on the Tour de France instead of sleeping in hotel rooms, so that cyclists are used to the beds they sleep on and get better night's sleep. You might be able to reduce the weight of your frame by a tiny amount, but it's in those very little things, these marginal gains, that we see massive steps forward. And I think the same can be applied to taking up your cross and following Jesus, So once it's difficult to know what giving up everything you have for Jesus looks like, probably most of you won't achieve that tomorrow morning. And I think that's alright. It's in these little decisions, these everyday moments of sacrifice, these everyday little moments of taking the shame of following Jesus rather than the ease of not, that we begin to start to figure out what taking up our cross looks like. So what comes to mind for you? What is the the marginal gain that you can do to take this claim seriously, to pick up your cross? What's the small sacrifice that God might be asking you to make? And remember that it's important that this comes out of that claim that God is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's important that this comes from a place of relationship with Jesus and not just legalism. But what do you need to put to death in your life to allow Jesus to increase? So what we're going to do now is we're going to have communion together. And communion has been a really powerful way throughout the centuries that believers have come together and said, I share in the sufferings of Christ. I want to be part of Jesus' death. And I take seriously this claim to take up my cross and follow him, not as an individual out there in the world, but as a community, as a body that comes together and says, "We take this seriously. We make this claim that you are the Christ, and we're serious about following you, whatever the costs are." So, in a moment, Christian's going to lead us in that. But let me just ask you some questions. That, I mean, maybe you want to talk to these about the, with the people next to you. I imagine for most of you. If you're anything like me, you just need to mull these questions over in your head and think, and ask God what he might be saying to you. So it might help just to close your eyes. So what does it cost you to follow Jesus? What area of your life are you not giving completely to Jesus? What's the one thing in your life that you would find the hardest to give up if God asked you to? Where do you feel most ashamed to be a follower of Jesus? And what does it mean for you to pick up your cross in that place? What comfort could you sacrifice? What marginal gain could you make to draw you closer to Jesus? Uh, Just over this next week. And what does it look like for you to take seriously this claim, to pick up your cross daily? Thank you that you are a God who gave up everything for us. That you loved us enough to come to this earth and to die on a cross so that we might come into relationship with you, that we might be forgiven, and that we might enter into your resurrection. Father, I pray that you would be prompting us to hear these words of the Son, to take up our cross daily. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be speaking to us now as we come and share in communion together. That as we take this bread and wine, that this wouldn't just be gestures, but this would be an experience of your presence and that we would enter into your sacrifice and your suffering. I just pray for everybody in this room, That as they go out from here, these words of yours, to take up your cross daily, wouldn't fall um, on the shallow ground, but you would really be speaking to people this week. And that people would be able to just see the little thing that they can do, the little thing they can sacrifice, which will bring them closer to you, which will let them live this life of fulfilment, this life of abundance. And we just thank you that you are the God that saves. You are the God that came to give us life. And I pray you would be showing us this week where we can die so that we may have life. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.